Welcome to More to Come, PW Comic World's weekly podcast on comics and graphic novel publishing. I'm Calvin Reed, Senior News Editor of Publishers Weekly and Co-Editor of PW Comics World. Check us out online at publishersweekly.com slash comics. All right, this, uh, uh, this week on More to Come, I have the great pleasure of being able to talk with uh, Miss Lasko Gross. Uh, and we're going to be talking about her new graphic novel, Henny, which has been getting an amazing amount of uh, pre-publication admiration. Um, uh, an article in Salon, uh, or Slate, Slate, I think I saw, an interesting um, uh, done uh, sort of in the, uh, in the aftermath of the Charlie Hebdo attacks, um, urging people to read the book. Uh, we're going to talk about that, a little bit about her background in comics, and uh, welcome to More to Come, and thanks for being on the show. Thanks for having me, Calvin. So, um, uh, we were chatting about this a little bit, but I, I, I want to get it on tape. I mean, I think that I, I knew about your comics for years, but I hadn't met you, and I, at one point, I was organizing some people. We would do presentations at the Columbia Publishing uh, Program uptown about um, uh, graphic novels, and I believe that was kind of the first time that we met. Yeah, I think so, even though we are neighbors. I, I, that's the other thing, yes. I did mention that we're recording live from the beautiful Lower East Side of New York. And, mm-hmm. and I live in, uh, you're on Delancey Street, I think you were saying, or in the neighborhood. And, mm-hmm. and I'm not, I'm right around the corner on Clinton Street. So we bump into each other all the time. And I'm glad that this time we have something to talk about. Instead like of book. how we will do brunch. Yes, 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 yes. <laughs> in fact, we talked about it with one of our favorite restaurants left, and then we wonder where are we going to do it. But now we can talk about something uh, even better. Your new book, uh, Henny, uh, really, uh, you know, uh, uh, I'm reading it as an anti-authoritarian, um, uh, uh, as an anti-authoritarian tale, but also the story of, uh, about the, the individual and how they sort of triumph over a, over an oppressive, um, you know. System uh, is that is that a fair? Um, That's a fair d- read. I mean, but triumphing. I don't know if I would necessarily use the word triumphing. Only so much as you can in the face of that kind of a uh, institutionalized fist. Yeah. Essentially hanging over everyone's head. It's uh, it's primarily an adventure story, but I, I would say you're correct. And it is an allegory about the dangers of fundamentalist thinking, both both religious and social. All right, great. All right. Well, before we get into the book, though, I do want to give our listeners just a little bit of a sense of your background. So, can you tell us, you know, where you know where you're from, and 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 when did you when did you start making comics? I am from Boston. I I don't know whether I came out of the womb drawing, but it, <laughs> it sort of feels that way at this point. Uh, I've been making comics professionally for 20 years, oh. but I started uh, I started as a as a kid. I did a lot of revenge comics as someone who didn't necessarily have a voice or or a say in in much in my life. I found that was a way to control the world and force people to see things through my eyes. So if I felt socially slighted, I could do a comic which would demonstrate for people how I was entirely right about everything and everyone else was wrong. Well, that's a that's a good advertisement for becoming an artist. Mm-hmm. The god of your own miserable little universe. That's right. There you go. Here you go. You can you can create the narrative of your mm-hmm. experience. Um, so uh, so when did you come to New- when did you come to New York? Uh, I moved to New York in '96. I actually graduated high school early, specifically so I could come here uh-huh. and be an artist. I went to Pratt uh-huh. because I had heard that that was a great place for cartoonists. 
Interestingly enough, it's not. Okay. <laughs> but False advertising. <laughs> however, I think that's why a lot of great cartoonists have come out of Pratt, because... Not because of not because you were tricked and suddenly that makes you good, but Just because the... they force you into that Bauhaus style of art education mm-hmm. where unlike schools where you can focus on comics, mm-hmm. not not to slight those, yeah. but you're forced to, to paint, to sculpt, uh, to take some humanities courses. Mm-hmm. I took science as yeah, well, was... anthropology, <laughs> so I think it, it squeezes you into um well, this sounds like into a being a, into being grudgingly a well-rounded. Well, artist. it's a classic liberal arts education. Yeah, I mean, yeah. I went to art school uh, myself, but um, but I wasn't going to make comics. Although comics turned out to be my biggest influence. But but yeah, so uh, I think if I had known about SVA, I would have probably gone, would have gone there, there instead and been not necessarily better or worse, but a very different type of mm-hmm. of an artist. Probably a little more of like that the animator school of arts mm-hmm. that I think comes out of there. And if there had been the Center for Cartoon Studies, oh, when yeah. also very different. Yeah. yeah, I'm going to date myself and say that was nowhere near even a germ in someone's <laughs> eye. Uh, that might have been a choice that I would have made. Well, I, I do think it's interesting that you think you know the oppositional culture, you know, mm-hmm. uh, training in a kind of a, a culture that doesn't actually value comics, which is actually the experiences of an older generation mm-hmm. of comics are. Actually, you think actually that helped you? I do think so. I think that. I would even go further and say despised. <laughs> yeah, okay, I had yeah. a I had a an You're art a history throwback. teacher who who talked about it uh, only grudgingly as a marginal art form, in which I got mm. I got a lot of I got a red face and sputtered and <laughs> I was can very only annoyed imagine. and wrote a very angry article that no one probably read in the school paper about that. <laughs> there you go. Um, but yeah, I think that's. I think that's helpful because I realized what I would actually be up against going out into the world as opposed to thinking that because I'm in a nice little cloistered place where people respect comics and act like that's a way to make a living Mm -hmm. that... You know, it's good to be ready for yeah. the, uh, the the hard and bitter reality. We know the real world. Yeah. It's not that inviting to comics, even though we're living in a changed world right yeah, now. Yeah, the, the golden age of geek chic. Yes, absolutely. I mean, it's amazing. I mean, when I uh, when I started at PW in the late 80s, you know, I mean, we didn't even review comics. We weren't even allowed to. Uh, and, and that's when I kind of started changing things there. But uh, it's amazing to see where we've come. It's The landscape is completely transformed. And yet... Uh, as we were chatting about, there's an awful lot of people out there that just sort of scratch your head when you say, read a comic, you know, a book length comic, four or 500 pages. What? <laughs> they see, they, they go to either tights and benevolent fascism superhero yes. stuff. And they're like, well, why would I, as an adult who's literary and refined, want to read yeah. that to, uh, to thinking that it's like a. A newspaper comic where it's a wacky family and yeah. the antics of oh that dog yes thing. yes <laughs> oh Marmaduke so 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 we we still have a long way to go but it is still a different world than it than it used to be uh, in comics uh, and really oh, across yeah. the board yeah changed for the positive yeah. definitely um uh, that's great so now I also say now you have a family as well uh, you are married to a, to a really terrific cartoonist as well Kevin Golden and you have a, a son. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So, um, so we have a little Colden. A little Colden. There you go. Yeah. So, uh, you, you know, I, I don't mean to just focus this because you're a woman, but obviously because you're a woman. How dare I you? I know. I know. It's a problem. But having a kid, making comics, <laughs> um, uh, it, it's got to be demanding. 
Um, I'm, I'm, I'm sure the guys help out a lot more than they used to, mm-hmm. but I think we know that you know the women still kind of work a lot harder. It, Do you it, get it, it all done? Can you, that way, but I will can say you get it all that, done? Uh, I I think so. Yeah. I've I I would love to be turning out a graphic novel a year. Hmm. But as I do not have a trust fund or a spouse outside of the comic book world, that's that will never that will never happen. And I think that's actually fine. I think what you were saying about adversity, it actually makes for a better book when getting a chance to sit down and draw is the treat that you've been looking forward to (laughs) all day. That's a good point. Yeah. And I hope it comes across in the artwork that it's like this is what I love to do, and this is like hopefully as fun for the reader uh, to read as it is for me to draw. You you, embr- you embrace the challenge, the the, the multi challenges of cartooning. I have, I have all day in the in day job mode to be working out the uh, what I call the, the the psychological, the heavy lifting of the drawing, so that when I finally sit down, oh, makes sense. I know exactly what needs to happen. I know uh, where the narrative is, and I can just jump right in. There's not a lot of. What should I draw yeah. staring at a blank page? That never yeah. happens. So you're drawing your head before you draw with your eye and your hand. Exactly. Yeah. It, it's it's worked out, and I'm ready to just explode onto the page. No, Never staring at a blank page like, what should I draw today? <laughs> All right. Well, well I, I want to segue from there into, I mean, now, your first books. Uh, and Because obviously I, I really want to talk about the transition from doing what uh, I I read a mess uh, a mess of everything and I don't I I I, yeah, I couldn't find my copies either my apologies because I was trying to reread them but I couldn't mm-hmm. find them uh, and um, the, your first book Escape from uh, Special mm-hmm. so tell us a little bit about those because I I am curious I mean I, I I think there are themes in those books that even though the scenario is very different in Henny that we can recognize in, in oh, your yeah. new work. You can, yeah. you can definitely draw a line between the, the autobiographical work and, uh, and Henny. I will say that growing up in a liberal Jewish suburb of Boston is definitely not the same thing as growing up in an isolated religious community uh, <laughs> where, I mean, the, the kind of things that, that Henny has had to suffer and the kind mm-hmm. of limitations on her life mm-hmm. is... It couldn't be more different from Well, it's a from very stark difference, and we're, we're going yeah. to get into that, How, too. However, I think that where you can draw a parallel is if you read Escape from Special or Mess of Everything, it's not really a secret how I feel about organized religion hmm. um, or how I feel about senseless authority or mm-hmm. the because-I-said-so yeah. um, way of conducting yourself. So I think philosophically, it's a there's a through line between the books. Yeah, yeah. I mean, there, uh, you know, free thinking, critical thinking, uh, honesty to yourself as well as to your community. I mean, all of these things, mm-hmm. you know, show up in different forms. Uh, it seems to me in Henny. Yeah, absolutely. That's those are themes that are very heavy in my mind mm-hmm. and uh, close to my heart. Yeah. So that's what I tend to like to talk mm-hmm. about. And of course, in mess of everything, uh, well, I think uh, Escape from Special it was, it were a younger autobiographical you. Yeah, Escape from Special, and that's special in quotes, like special ed, like oh, aren't you special? Yeah, yes. Yeah. Mm-hmm. You are defective. You are terrible. You are broken. <laughs> yeah. Um, or retarded, as the case. As, <laughs> as it as, wasn't back in the day. <laughs> that would be. That would be. That would be what special yes. <laughs> did me. So, um, in in that book, that's about childhood, uh, from starting from. My earliest memories, so some of the earlier stories in the books are just one page, two page, these brief flashes that come in without necessarily uh, the context. I don't treat myself like an important 
this is not the biography of an important historical no. figure. <laughs> so I don't say it was this year, it was this place. And I think that, that through people it was a little experimental in, mm. in structure. They were like memories. They kind of begin in the middle and end when they reach an unspoken philosophical point, but aren't necessarily a classic narrative. Mm -hmm. And then A Mess of Everything picks up in... They both... The books crisscross in junior high school, and then A uh, Mess of Everything picks up and goes into goes into high school. And if I ever do another one, that will probably be the, the college years and the art school years. Okay. Well, well, we'll keep our fingers crossed waiting for that. Um, I am not allowed to do one right now uh, about uh, my current life. I think uh, Kevin has <laughs> possibly joking, possibly not joking, said that that would be divorce <laughs> to do a book about our current existence. Well, usually, you know, uh, they tell civilians, like, be careful if you're going out with a cartoonist. But when a cartoonist is going out with a cartoonist, you know, at least you've got, you know, you've got a weapon, your you, pen. You yeah, right. You can, like, do the... You can do a retort. <laughs> so, all right. Well, we'll have to see how that works out. Mm -hmm. um, but but I remember the book. I do remember uh, the character that I will say is you, cause, or, or assume is you, yes. uh, you know, is flawed also. Um, mm -hmm. <laughs> flawed in her honesty. But also a character who was always kind of trying to do the right thing, even when she was surrounded by people who were sort of clueless. And that about, is how people are. I mean, yeah. people do see themselves as being justified, whether they are or not. Yeah, but I yeah. think it's it's also important to, if you're being honest, instead of instead of trying to create this heroic narrative of I'm the person who's always right. I'm like like my comics were when I was just starting out and really really kind of naive and green. It's if you're going to tell the truth, you don't always make the right choice. Yeah. Mm. You don't always come out looking good. And you certainly aren't always the person that the reader's going to root for if you're brutally honest. Yeah. All right. Well, let's let's jump from there to Henny. So, um, can describe because this is this is the scenario is so different from alienated teenager. Uh, this is like a more stark parable like allegory um, in you know in a in a universe that sort of seems like it's sort of a mashup. Of a lot of things, almost like a fantasy landscape. So, could you describe the narrative and? Okay. Uh, well, this is this is there. There's some world building. Okay. For for very important reasons, mm. this does not take place in our world, with our with our people recognizable mm -hmm. as humans. It does not involve any religions that we know mm -hmm. of, and that is for a very specific reason, which is that if you do that, people start throwing up walls when the reading of like. This is this group, this is that group, these are these people, these are the Muslims, these are the Jews, these are the Christians, and this is this race of people, and these are that race of people, and that's, you know, not only does it take you out of the experience of actually enjoying the book, but it makes people get defensive, mm. and they're not going to be enjoying themselves if they feel personally attacked, or their religion is personally attacked. And again, this is not a didactic book. I don't have an agenda about teaching people a lesson uh, about life, I think. I think it should be obvious from reading my works that I think people should be left to judge for themselves and to make their mm -hmm. own choices. Uh, that said, this is a world where some there's a, a collection, you could say, of small, isolated communities, uh, no room for dissent whatsoever, religious fundamentalism, and this is the story, at least initially, of, of a young girl who questions a little too much for her own good and pushes a little too hard against the structure. And she's not setting out to be a rebel. This hmm. isn't her trying to take down the system. This is her just trying to discover truth 
and live an honest life, and that is too much for those around her. Mm. Um, uh, talk a little bit about the characters, because you, you call her a little girl, and she is. Initially, but, yes. But um, uh, the, the characters are really sort of creatures. I mean, mm-hmm. everything, as you were saying, this doesn't take place in our world. Yes, this is a cat. This is sort <laughs> of a cat-human hybrid. Um, not Not in an adorable... Twee way, but just in that they're they're humanoids, but they're clearly not humans. They're they're fanged. Uh, they have three fingers. They are covered in fur and have mm-hmm. ears, uh, faces that you would recognize as human, though. And the same, they use a lot of the same the same pronouns as mm-hmm. us. So it's I didn't create a new language for it because that's a level of world building that I don't think actually serves the mm-hmm. story. <laughs> And if I'd have to translate everything. So you're going to have to make the leap and be like, yes, they're speaking English. And yes, they essentially look like us. Uh, her family I would describe as it is at the beginning of the book, her father, her mother, and her dad is what you would call a militant, atheist, uh, radical. Her mother is a fanatical devotee of the temple. Mm -hmm. This is obviously, we learn from the structure of this universe, a arranged marriage, which pretty ill-advised. Someone thought this was a good -hmm. good match-up. We we learn there are reasons for that, which may not be uh, even divine. Yeah. Um, And they they clash, and her, her father is taken out of her life very early, and she's left to be raised by this very religious, very unreasonable, unkind mother who, in her own way, believes that she's doing the right thing. She's not just a... She's not an evil stepmother, Disney archetype. Mm-hmm. Like she, yeah. she, she believes she's doing the right thing for her girls. But does the reader think so? Probably not. Yeah. Do I think so? No. Well, <laughs> it's a scenario that, obviously, uh, where she... Uh, as you're saying, she, she doesn't set out, set out to be... Um, a liberator or a revolutionary, but she does have a knack for critical thinking, for free thinking, for, as you say, for simply asking questions. Her father, even though he's eliminated from her life early, is he's planted that germ in her. He's She's more educated than mm-hmm. uh, I think the upper echelon believes a girl should be. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. They believe even the fact that she can write is offensive to them. Mm. Because it clearly shows the influence of a father who has been trying to subvert their ideas about what is appropriate for females. Ah, yes. Um, and I, 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 I'd love to talk about this. I don't want to issue spoilers. But, I mean, at various points in the book, she she also moves into a different culture um, where she's sort of put into a civilized, uncivilized situation. Yeah, so it's, it, it's about it's the a, other. It's the and it's really the a weird mirror image in some ways mm-hmm. of the society that she's already left, even though they see themselves as way more enlightened. Mm-hmm. And she, from her perspective, only having known one place, sees them as very different, which is you know leads into the joke about the pointed roofs and uh, the fact that although to her this couldn't be more different from her upbringing, she soon lear- soon learns that despite a few superficial differences. There's a very similar and disappointing structure to this society as well. Yeah. Um, uh, now, at various points in the book, she's kind of confronted with 
a vine. So, so the, the stakes for her are so much different. And as it confronted with violence or the potential for violence, mm-hmm. the stakes for her are so much more heroic, if you want to put it that way, or more dire uh, than, say, obviously in a high school or... But all of these things, I mean, the, the, the themes that we've talked about, they come out so clearly in this, but ratcheted up a level of intensity. Mm-hmm. Um, it's something that in, in, the, in, the Western, uh, in the Western world, in the Northeast, I don't think, no matter how, how dramatic someone feels that their choices are, it would never be anything close to this. The, the life mm-hmm. and death, the lack of escape. I mean, you look at... Even even in the U.S., you look at someone who's in an Amish community, which is mostly mostly closed from the world. Mm-hmm. You look at someone who's in the um, the FLDS, the the Fundamentalist Latter Day Saints, and there's there's an option for them. There is some mobility. They have to make what is a choice much braver than than I think most people could make. And if they don't agree with that lifestyle, they can leave because they're surrounded. They're not in an island. They're mm-hmm. surrounded by the the outside world, the modern world, and that's that's still it's it's more akin to what Henny goes through than you know a a grumpy surly teenager who's just unhappy with their parents and being a strict religious background. I mean that's that's a more similar leap, but even that they have they have choices, they have access to the outside world. They couldn't be kept against their will. Mm-hmm. I mean, they can be held, but mm-hmm. if the law intervenes, mm-hmm. there is a way out for them. Mm-hmm. Well, it's interesting. Obviously, your book is coming coming uh, out now at a time in just in the aftermath of the Charlie Hebdo attacks. Uh, big discussions about uh, about free speech, free expression. I mean, uh, I mean, you, obviously, we can get a little bit out of proportion. Uh, it's a book. That you know, it's meant to engage a reader, not necessarily mm-hmm. to transform a culture. Uh, but I'm just curious. I mean, there. I, I think uh, talking with your publisher. I mean, uh, apparently there's really strong interest from librarians in the book. Um, uh, I mean, how have how have you responded to this outpouring? And and are and, and what kinds of things are you hearing back uh, from your from your readers? Well, I think that the the article in in Salon was it's the kind of thing that as an as an artist you you and a writer you you want but at the same time just to be to see your art juxtaposed with i mean it's, it's just actually i would i should say it was superimposed on this on the tragedy it's like it makes your stomach flip because this is exactly the kind of thing that you know that breaks my heart yeah in the world and so yeah. i i would i would like that i like the fact that people are equating me with that in or, or bringing me into that context in a positive way mm. and although I don't see myself as doing something that's as brave slash inflammatory slash insensitive depending on yeah. depending on your opinion about that um, <laughs> it's I'm, I'm commenting about larger issues that that equate mm-hmm. to that but not that in in particular but I think sadly this is always gonna be a timely book in a way that, you know, I wish it would become irrelevant, but there's there's so much, globally there's so much suppression, and it's easy to forget in this, this nice bubble of creative expression that we have access to that that's not the truth for the majority of the world, and it's also not the truth, or, or not, not, a, not a thing for, if, if you put it in a greater context of time, mm-hmm. 
this is the best time and the best place to be able to do a book like this with limited cost to myself. I don't feel Mm -hmm. like I have daggers at the door. I don't feel like I was uh, forbidden an education. Yeah, we have a social scene with, with its flaws, you know, still is an open system. There's still there's still ways that you can get your your views out there, mm-hmm. even if you even if you run into opposition about them. Um, well, you know, let me ask you a different kind of question. Then, then who are who are your influences in comics? I mean, like once again, this this is a this this parable, this allegory is uh, uh, the, the themes that you have in it. They're perhaps more 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 buried, but still there in works in your earlier works. But I can even see them, obviously, in other uh, comics artists out there. I'm, so I'm just curious, who, who, who are your, uh, your heroes in, in, uh, or mentors or influences hmm. in comics? Well, it's a, it's, a very, it's a very diverse and strange grouping, Good. I would say. We like diversity. Because I don't think people see, I don't think people see, I don't wear my influences so much yeah. on my mm-hmm. sleeve. People usually go, really? Because my favorite as a as a teenager and when I was getting more serious into comics is Jaime Hernandez, and I well, love. Well, it's interesting work. you would say that because I wanted that. One of my things was that the, I, I mean I see similar themes in Love and Rockets and certainly mm-hmm. in the Locust stories. Uh, you know, these as Maggie and Hopi, you know, are constantly pushing up against mm-hmm. the wall of conformity of. And doing that was things. huge. That was huge for me. Yeah, that book. Yeah. I was the the first few things I did were just shameless ripoffs of, <laughs> of Love and Rockets, as as everyone is when they kind of start out. Um, I liked uh, Katsuhiro Otomo. Akira mm-hmm. was very big for me. That ah, was the book. That was the book mm-hmm. where when they when they stopped doing the English translations initially, I lost my mind, and I would come <laughs> into the comic book shop every week, Comicopia in Boston. Yeah. And I would just—I must have had a crazed look in my eyes because they'd be like, "We don't have any more." Where is it? <laughs> we, we do not have it. And I was like, ah. started, "It was like thirty issues, thirty yeah, something," yeah. and there was this big gap, and it was just like despair. Oh, okay, just All despair. Right. So that was um, in terms of comics, and that and Tank Girl, I loved. Ah, um, interesting. Very good. Yeah, I'm not embarrassed to say I had the the shaved head with the the bangs and the little braids I love sticking it. I out. Love it. I was a Tank Girl fan as well. I I loved that. And, and I used to read it when I, you know, was when it was only a dead deadline. I would get, I would I find, I would look around magazine. and de- find copies of Deadline. That was that was huge. Yeah. I loved, I loved Deadline. Other English publications, I liked Viz, mm-hmm. which was, you know, like all sure, just yeah. the really filthy, mm-hmm, sure. cheap newsprint. Like it would pretty much be falling apart as you were reading it. <laughs> but I, I like anything that's, I like body, I like. High and lowbrow, so yeah. I like the the snootiest of snooty, and then like the most down dirty. Like John Waters films are a big influence there on me. Uh-huh. Pink flamingos, I think, changed my life. Okay, <laughs> I was like, I'm gonna be okay when I saw that movie. Um, and then I guess in in literature, I like uh, like I wouldn't say it's an influence because it's very recent, but. Uh, David Hockney's book Secret Knowledge yeah. mm-hmm. is like that's a liberation for for artists. Everyone should read that and stop beating themselves up oh, for cool. taking I, the I shortcuts. Read it, so that I we, will. Good. Yeah. <laughs> and Guns, Germs, and Steel was a big oh, influence sure. on mm-hmm. Henny. Um, oh, that's interesting. Yeah, very much. When I thought about the world building and I thought about how the the geography and the geology of her world would shape uh, their people, just the the paucity of natural resources. Um, there's, I would draw a parallel between pre-Columbian South America mm-hmm. and her world. Even though the look 
reads mm-hmm. a little more as medieval Europe or, mm-hmm. or Scandinavia. And I thought about a lack of domesticated animals, what that would do, mm-hmm. and how that would keep people from being freed up to move on to what we would call a higher and more sophisticated mm-hmm. level of society because everyone's digging in the dirt. There's, right. no, there's no one to pull the plows but mm-hmm. these people, if they even have plows. Also, metal is very scarce. There's hardly any metal in this world. So, in terms of world building, more so than, than philosophy, I thought about mm-hmm. that book a lot. Mm-hmm. Um, I mean, there's one other thing that happens in Hindi that I think is very important, is that her, her sort of naive but, but powerful uh, rhetorical skills. Because mm-hmm. at various points, she, she's, she's smarter than her captives with, by simply asking the right questions. Yes, that's a very perceptive uh, question. Or, or, because she's, or she's not doing it out of any sense of power. It's, yeah, it's, it's out really, of a sense of curiosity and, and, she, she's, and she's, seeking. Yeah, she's all about untapped potential. Mm-hmm. I mean, she has this mind. She has the, the germ of being someone who's, who would be very savvy and very intellectual, given, you know, if her father had not been taken out of her life so mm-hmm. early, she might have had a chance to study and really become much more sophisticated, whereas what she has is this great mind and these great questions, but she's very naive because she's had so little real-world experience and met so few people and has never had anyone to have a conversation with since her dad, Mm -hmm. uh, you know, after her dad is uh, is removed. um, She doesn't have... Her sister, even, she she tries to have these reasonable... Uh, discourses with her sister, and there's that's that's kind of she's a bit of a brick wall. She loves her sister, but they're they're not on the same page. Yeah, yeah. Her sister was not around or didn't have as much of her life with their father uh, to have the same advantages yeah. that Henny has. And her friend Cora, that's another brick wall. Yeah, she she tries to carefully bring up these heretical questions and there's well, that's no that's the key there because they are heretical and that's yeah. the way her the, the the people she talks to take them they're they're mm-hmm. they're either they're kind of a, at the combination of appalled and afraid and she dreams of having someone who can just even engage in that conversation whether they like her whether they yeah. agree with her or not they'll be willing to have that conversation um uh you know one other book is, is, that came to mind because I was thinking about uh, other books that I thought you know, embodied some of these the, the themes that I detected in him. And one of them I would think I'd be curious to know what you thought of is Uli Luf's book of the last couple of years. Um, it came out two or three years ago. Uh, Tomorrow is the last day of the rest of your life. I don't know if you read it. came out from Fantagraphics. Mm-hmm. Heard of it, have not read yeah, it, unfortunately. Uh, well, I heard her speak, though, at, um, I, I believe, at SPX maybe this mm-hmm. past year. And was very interested, but I have a giant stack, as, yeah, as no, we all do. As we all do. Well, that's <laughs> something put on your list. I, I really love the mm-hmm. book. If, if any work deserves to be called feminist and, 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 and called feminist with the highest amount of, of, of admiration as far as the story, because it's really the story of her life trying to come, come to grips with even her sort of punk mentality at the time. It's really, really kind of a, a look, really good at, at the individual uh, that develops right before your very eyes through 
through experience. And I, lo- I love that kind of a journey. So yeah, that is... and that, yeah. So something for you, another book for your a really high giant reading stack, t- of, stack things, of stuff but I to read. read. Um, so on that note, I, now, now there's clearly more to come yes. with him. You so, will not be wrong. Yeah. Okay. So, uh, multi-volume series. What, what? What can we? Trilogy. It's a trilogy. Okay. Great. Um, book two is for for anyone if there is anyone out there biting their fingernails um, for the next one. I'm actually very far into it. I had a four-year period where I did a much longer book, and uh, it it was clear to me that this would be much better served. The story would be much better served by breaking the longer journey of Henny into three volumes. So I am very deep into book two. Awesome. All right. So at the appropriate publisher's spacing, which I, I know not, there will be a volume two, and then I have to get myself together and do book three as fast as I can. All right. Well, I, that, you know, so we know what you're working on. So that's usually one of my questions. What's I'm next? I'm locked in. So for, you're busy for but. all the foreseeable future. <laughs> all right, um, uh, and these are going to be. I assume they're all going to be brought up by uh, Z2. Uh, that is what you know, I Josh Mankel's publishing. Uh, They've done such a wonderful great. job with this book. The design, awesome. Jim, yes. Jim Pasco. It's mm-hmm. beautiful. And oh, Jim Pascoe did the design. Yeah. Great. Well, I know Jim too. He's a great guy. Mm-hmm. Uh, Josh, I just think is a, is just a fine young publisher who's going to be a fine, older publisher one of these days, too. Yeah. Um, he has uh, a very good eye, and Z2, as a as a new boutique imprint, I think mm-hmm. he's made very, very good choices. Of course, I would be biased, since I'm one of those choices. Yeah, <laughs> well, that's okay. But I think, I think you'll see made... a lot of great books coming out from uh, Z2. All right, well, great. Well, they, they certainly have just put one out right now. It's Henny by Miss Lasko Gross from G- Z2. Uh, you can get it now at fine uh, bookstores and comic shops everywhere. Uh, so, Miss, thank you so much for being on More to Come. Thank you, Kelvin. Thank you for having me.